Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight we have some amazing things to talk about. Uh, we have two main topics, both of which you know and you've heard a lot about already. And we share with you things that you probably never heard and that are very, very important in terms of focusing on these two incidents in the right way. With, everybody's familiar with the, the Ben and Jerry's uh, ice cream situation, and uh, the other one is what's going on in Eretz Israel with the the Minister of Religions, uh, Mr. Matan uh, Kahana, and uh, what he's trying to make a revolution in kosher in Israel to take away from the chief rabbinate the uh, the right to uh, controlling kashrus uh, directly. And it's a whole story in itself. If you're not familiar with it, I'll, I'll share a little information, but then we're going to go a little deeper into the story. Whatever you've seen elsewhere, you didn't see what I happen to have. That's number one. Or number two, and before we begin, I want to share with you a few quick things. One is that uh, if you're interested in uh, Yashin foods, to die, the time to buy your oats and to start buying your flour is now. Of course, there's Yashin things available all year round, but some of the companies don't deal with Yoshin at all, and so if you want a specific item that has a Yoshin problem during the year, you might as well stock up right now. If you're not familiar with the whole topic, you have to get a, your, a copy of a guide to Chodesh, uh, which is put out uh, every year. A few copies uh, are printed during the year, and uh, if you're not familiar how to get it, so you'll get in touch with us or you just look it up online, or just ask somebody, um, everybody who keeps Yoshin should be familiar with it now. The Guide to Chodesh, Rabbi Herman, Allah Shalom's uh, specific uh, contribution to this world, um, but uh, or one of his contributions, the beautiful family and his old Torah, etc., but this is one, one of the most important contributions he made in his lifetime, and it's been taken over by the family to continue uh, as long as we possibly can. So that is the uh, that is the Yashin update. Uh, I think that the the next topic I'm I'm not sure if I ever mentioned it because I only got it myself this week. The reason I say I might have mentioned it is because they they maybe put it out other times in the course of the year. But the OU put out uh, an interesting piece, and if you know anybody who needs this kind of help, so you can share it with them. Uh, the OU asked the question. May one eat a salad at non-kosher restaurant while on the road? Well, it doesn't matter if you're on the road or not on the road. They're just trying to say that you, you know, I mean, you go to a, you're supposed to go to a kosher restaurant, so they're trying to say that, well, when you're on the road, so it's hard, so maybe we have a head to at least to eat a salad. So they're going to mention a few things here. Uh, I'm going to stick a fifth one in right now and let you know. A salad is not always just a salad. I've read articles and I've printed articles that talk about how people were fooled into thinking that a salad is just the vegetables. Well, in general, that's what it is. But sometimes it's much more than that. There are people who have told me and written down and have printed articles that they were served salads that had non-kosher meats and fish or whatever it is in there, Forget about whether using a salad dressing. Just a plain salad, not even an oil, nothing added. They sometimes have little pieces of food that they put in there. That's the way they in the restaurants make the salad. So they'll tell you with a plain salad, 
but it might have it might have actual little chunks of food in there that from an animal or from a fish or whatever, um, and that's a hundred percent treif. So uh, again, people have been fooled that way, and and oh, but this person's telling me, and I see it. There's nothing in there. So here are the four reasons that they use, and this is based on Rabbi Belsky. Number one, marisayin. Eating in a non-kosher restaurant gives the impression that you're gonna that you're doing something that's also even if you're not. It marisayin is forbidden. It's not just oh well, maybe everyone will know. No, they won't know. They just see you eating in there. So they're, well, well, we got a yamaka and my tzitzis are out, and this. Uh, who's going to think that I'm eating chazer? No, but they don't know what you know. They don't. I mean, first of all, they don't. You're only having this salad if it's kosher. And number two, they see you eating, don't even know what's in the plate. Number three, that they, they they're going to think that uh, maybe this has ashkocha. I mean, they're not going to be you, so fine. They may make a mistake and eat there themselves. Number two. The knives used to cut the, the, the vegetables could be soiled with non-kosher, and uh, that would make the salad not kosher. Okay, so that's uh, you know, a concern. More specifically, the third one. Even if the knives were clean, if they were used to cut sharp food or spicy vegetables, they'll transfer the non-kosher taste from its previous usage. So that means if the knife were treif, and you cut an onion with it, then the onion becomes treif. If you cut a garlic or a radish with it, it's going to become treif. So uh, in, in the salad, you can't tell them what to put in to that extent. You can say, just give me this and give me that, but they, they'll, they'll throw in their onions. They, this is the way they make the salad. You can say all you want. They, no, I just give me a tomato and the lettuce cut up. And that's it, nothing else. Sure, sir. They'll come in, they'll see. It's not going to be that way. Number four... Many vegetables need to be checked for insect infestation in order to be considered kosher. Well, that really should be the first one, I think, also. Anyway, that's a, just a, a small thing if anybody uh, left out there who, who believes you could eat in these kinds of restaurants. Unfortunately, there are people who do eat in these restaurants, and uh, they eat worse than this. They eat, in a, they eat uh, food that's cooked in a non-kosher restaurant, and they say, I asked them to give me just this. And What can I tell you? Uh, it's an interesting world. Leads me to my next question, next point. I just want to read a little bit of this to you because I thought it was very interesting. It really is not kashras per se. Uh, it's Rabbi Avigdor Miller on Kir of Rechoikim on reaching out to different people. And I thought this was very interesting. Uh, they asked Rabbi Miller, do you think the Gedolim of Eastern Europe were punished because they didn't help the assimilated Jews uh, 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 the, uh, the, 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 with the, uh, they didn't help them. In, uh, with, with, uh, in, I suppose he meant to take care of them and be uh, uh, of them. Do I think the Gedolim were punished for not helping the straying Jews in Europe? That's the question he was being asked. Now, if you're asking me a question like that, it's too big for a little man like me. That's where Miller's Anivas used to always talk that way. I should tell you about Gedolim. Read about Ketanim. But there's, there was certainly a responsibility. The Chafetz Chaim already issued an alarm. He said, there's a fire burning now. That's what the Chafetz Chaim said. It's not like it used to be, the Chafetz Chaim said. We have to go out and save the Jews. No question. By the way, I'm quoting Rabbi Miller. The Lubavitcher did it in America when they came here, but the Navartica already did it in Europe. The Navarnikers had 60 yeshivas. They went into towns where there was nothing, 
and they found that yeshivas and saved a lot of boys. And Beis Yaakov, Sarishnir, saved a lot of girls in Europe. But if they did it sufficiently, that's a question. I'm not sure that they could have, they couldn't, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, this is the other way. I'm sure they could have done more, but I'm not going to pass judgment on anyone. But this we must know. It's a very big responsibility. It's an onerous responsibility, a heavy and a burdensome responsibility. The Chobos Alvavos says we have to worry always that we're not sufficiently fulfilling our duty of hocheach tachiach esamisecha, which means to tell another Jew what he has to do. Always that's a problem that troubles us. And even people sitting in yeshivas and learning and kololim are all concerned about that. They're always asking, should I go out and save Jews? Should I do things for our brothers who are straying? That's a question. It's not a simple answer that because, after all, we can't give up the study of Torah, we can't stop developing Jews who are telling me chachamim. And so the question is, what to do? It's not easy. But you must know it's certainly one of the factors that there is a responsibility. There's a kolar, a heavy chain around the necks of the Jewish people for not going out and helping their fellow Jews come back to Torah. Well, that's a very strong statement. Rabbi Miller, uh, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't be misled. Rabbi Miller taught us that you've got to be careful about going out and living out of town to be Makarov. It's one thing to be Makarov, a Jew next to you. It's one thing to invite a Jew into your house. It's, a, it's another thing to go out of your way and live among them in order to bring them back. And he used to tell us that the Litvisha is very dangerous. But Lubavitch is okay. Because Lubavitch Rebbe had like a lifeline. Because he would pull back the, the person who went out there in a Chabad house or a Rav, whatever. And, and if he felt that the person wasn't doing well, he'd pull him back. Whereas by us, the Rosh Yeshiva said, here's your smicha, tzayzcham l'shalom, bracha v'atzlacha, and that's it. And you never see him again. But by the Lavabasha, they used to come back all the time, and the Rebbe would call him in and see, that, see if, if he felt he's still doing well or he's, he's falling down. So that's what Harav Miller taught us. But definitely, we weren't part from it. Now, I'm going to share with you, everybody knows about the situation with uh, Ben and Jerry's. I mean, who doesn't know? Even if you're Chal of Yisrael, the Ika Hadin, and you never, you never saw that thing in your life, but you know it exists. And if you don't know, now you know that there's such a thing as Ben and Jerry's ice cream. It was originally owned by two Jews. I don't know if currently there's an ownership issue there anymore, but it's been sold to the big company called Unilever, which is in England, and, and it's a huge monstrosity of, of a corporation. And, it, and they decided, uh, the, the people who run Ben and Jerry's, whoever that is, they decided that they don't want to sell to Jews living in the occupied territories in Eretz Israel. So this caused a big, a big hullabaloo. Everybody got excited, and everybody took a stance on this and that and the other thing. Baruch Hashem, it was instant that the, that the Frum stores, I'm talking about Jewish-owned stores in the New York, New Jersey area, plus some others across the country, pulled the product. Now, some of them kept it in their freezer, hoping that someday this thing will blow over, 
and Ben and Jerry's will change their position and not hold this anti-Semitism publicly, and that they would just go ahead and uh, you know rescind and say uh, we we thought it over. It's not such a good idea, and uh, we may have our opinions, but you're going to sell the product to all the Jews, even in the so-called occupied territories of Israel. That may happen, and so they're keeping it in the freezer. Some people returned it. Some people gave it away. Whatever they had to do, they did. Uh, a lot of stores, and we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, and it, they're sitting in their freezer, or they got rid of it already. So that's a, uh, that was a very brave move. Afterwards, one person after another came out speaking against it. Even His Honor, the mayor of, of, uh, of New York City, uh, came out against it and said that he might join, if there's some kind of reaction, he would join the, the, the neg- you know, something to, to, uh, uh, to, to, bl- to block the sales of uh, uh, Ben and Jerry's. And he himself says he would stop eating it now. So that's how he responded. And everybody had their, their own response. I'm going to share with you a couple of things that we have to know about this. Number one, it's mamish frightening. Twenty-five, according to a, a study, which was put out by a, a, a not such a, a, a wonderful organization, but the study studied 800 people, and they said they came back. 25 percent of the American Jews, 25 percent of the American Jews, consider Israel an apartheid state, that they're. You know, they're treating the Arabs terribly, and their separation between them, and and they're not being fair to them, and they're not giving them equal treatment, and etc. And that's how they viewed it. The way Africa was viewed as an apartheid country, and the uh, uh, how they were mistreating the uh, the black people, and they are saying the same thing is happening in Israel, which of course is ridiculous, but. If you, just taking a look at you see how many Jews and Arabs work together in Israel, how Arabs are working in Jewish homes and, and working in Jewish businesses and own businesses and uh, uh, given equality. In fact, they're even part of the government now. So how in the world can you call it an apartheid state? It's a Jewish state. Yes, it is a Jewish state. And if you're not Jewish, you're not uh, technically the Jewish part of the state, but you have you can be a citizen of the country, you know, the citizenship they gave, so and you have a yes, we're not we we Shabbat is Shabbat. It's not going to be whatever uh, the the um, whatever the Arabs is, uh, have for for a week uh, for weekends and for uh, their their holidays. We're not going to become part of the government. No, we're not going to have holidays. But maybe down the road they're going to do that too. I don't know what they're going to do. Israel is going different ways, but we're not mistreating them. But said 25% of American Jews say that we're treating, mistreating them. And it's really a scary uh, situation. In any event, there were many people who came out and spoke out about this. I want to share with you uh, what, uh, what some people said. Here is uh, the president of Israel, the Israeli president Mr. Isaac Herzog. He said, the boycott against Israel is a new type of terror, economic terror, 
a terror that tries to harm Israel's, Israeli citizens and Israel's economy. The BDS campaign is not pursuing peace and is seeking to undermine the state of Israel's existence. Ayelet Shaked, in the interior minister, said that Israel is working with Jewish and evangelical communities. Evangelical is these groups of Christians who are supporting Israel because they believe that it's part of the evolution of the times, that we're supposed to be back in Eretz Israel again. It's part of their beliefs. Not going to get into that. As well as pro-Israel groups in the United States to mount a boycott of the ice cream maker until they change their despicable decision. Ben and Jerry's International chose to appease terrorist and anti-Semitic organizations instead of being faithful to its Israeli licensee. But that last line is the key to the whole thing, because here's what's happened. There is a gentleman, and his name is Dror Strum. I didn't know about him, but he was the former Israeli antitrust commissioner. He was, in, he was in charge of this antitrust in Israel for a number of years, and he informed the Israeli Competition Authority that Ben and Jerry's announcement is a blunt violation of terms included in the controversial merger approval decision in 2001 between Unilever and Ben Jerry's. Because Ben Jerry's sold to Unilever, and when that happened, there was a problem. Unilever was going to be coming a... Uh, monopoly on ice cream in Israel because they just happened to own Strauss, which is a major Israeli company of ice cream, and they and now they have the Ben and Jerry's and this, so they basically are controlling a lot of the action. In order to solve that problem, they had to sign a special agreement that Israel made them sign in order that they would follow this this to the letter. Otherwise, they're in violation of the antitrust laws of Israel. So Jorstrom was the head of that competition authority and the antitrust commissioner that 20 years ago approved, just 20 years, this, this uh, arrangement. It, he wrote a letter to Michal Halperin, the current head of the Israel Competition Authority, and he explained that the acquisition of Ben & Jerry's Global by Unilever Global in 2001, raised a lot of significant difficulties in Israel. Unilever already controlled the biggest company in Israel, the, 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 the dominant domestic ice cream company, Strauss Ice Cream Limited, and therefore a merger with Ben & Jerry's would have strengthened Unilever's monopoly in the country. So what? So that reason, they made it, uh, it said, for that reason that the statutory decision to approve the merger included restrictive conditions on which Unilever was obligated, now here's the key phrase, to maintain a complete separation between Ben & Jerry's Global and Ben & Jerry's Israel licensee. Because Ben & Jerry's Israel is the one that sells the ice cream to the people in Israel, not Ben & Jerry's in England. It's being produced in Israel, sometimes Chal of Israel, and it's being sold in Israel by the licensee in Israel, and not to restrict or harm in any manner the independent licensee. So in other words, you're killing this man's business. You're killing the, 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 the person who has the license to sell this Ben & Jerry's in Israel is, is losing his business now. 
and may he may have a serious problem. They may have serious problems because the people will stop buying the product. He can't sell it part part of the places. People might stop buying the product because they're angry, and he can be up the creek. They're, so so they're they're cheating their own licensee, and they're in, invalidating the uh, the antitrust. Uh, contract that they signed in 2001. Here is what it says in that contract. Unilever and Strauss Ice Cream and Ben and Jerry's agreement said that they would not take any action, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, that may interfere with the franchisees' activities in the country. And this Ross Strum added, as long as Unilever wants to continue to sell ice cream in Israel, it must continue to sell Ben and Jerry's in Israel and in all its areas. Strum concluded his letter saying, therefore, it is prohibited to limit the license through limiting sales of ice cream, let alone terminate the contract with the licensee in Israel without the Israeli Competition Authority's approval. In other words, the government of Israel, through this authority, has to approve what they're doing. So they can't do what they just want to do. Strum said, the decision to reduce sales is illegal, contrary to the conditions, and has devastating and immediate consequences for the licensee in Israel. And then he said, it says, Strum sent a written notice to Ben & Jerry's Global, warning them that they are violating the Israeli competition law and the terms of the merger. So, I don't know the law, but this is heavy. What I just told you is probably going to topple the whole thing. In addition, there are two states, Texas and some other state, that may block everything from Unilever being sold in their states. And they're anti-BDS. So there could be a tremendous reaction. But now, and uh, now we, well, I just I'll just throw one more thing at you. Just, this is small. A few of the cautious organizations, only a few of them, came out with a statement saying that we should... We should not buy Ben and Jerry's. Well, I'm not going to buy it. It's not called Israel anyway. But, but it's, uh, it's, they shouldn't buy Ben and Jerry's. And the Vod of Queens did that. And Australia, the cautious organization, one of the cautious organizations in Australia did it. But not too many did it. But that is not the whole story. The big part of the story is what about the Hashkocha from the Kuf K. I'm not going to discuss anything that I did, but I was a little bit involved in behind the scenes and trying to help uh, different people, different ways, this particular thing we're talking about now. I just want to share with you a, a, a letter from Danny Klein, Donnie Klein, and an answer to that letter from a gentleman by the name of Joseph Flashner. It seems that Danny Klein owns a company called Yeah, That's Kosher. It's on the, it's on the web. It, it, it lists restaurants. And uh, he's, people go there to find out about restaurants. Yeah, That's Kosher. Y-E-A-H. Yeah, That's Kosher. It's a website. So he basically said, I don't know if I'll read the whole letter because time is moving fast, but he basically said, that kashras, hashgacha, should not be tied to politics. That's what he said. 
So I'll read a few of the lines. He said, uh, a lot of supermarkets pulled out the Ben & Jerry's, private companies have a right not to stock the products that conflict with their values, just like individual consumers have the right not to buy them. But some people took it further, he said, and they're pressuring Kafka to drop Darshtar. I'm not one of them, by the way. Uh, there's a, a readership poll that was done by Yeshiva World News, and 75% of the people responded that they want the Kuf K to stop certifying the brand. They don't want Kuf K certifying uh, Ben & Jerry's. Well, it's interesting. They don't want us, nobody asked about the OU stopping certifying Unilever, which is a bigger contract. I mean, there's tons and tons of stuff from Unilever. But that's not, and that's not an issue for right now. They, should Kashrus organizations get involved in the politics of the product. So I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago I brought this whole thing up. But what I was talking about then wasn't about uh, Ben and Jerry's and anti-Israel. I brought up the fact that there are certain businesses that are putting packages with rainbow word, with rainbow on it, and sometimes it has the colors of the rainbow, and they have certain things on their websites, that promote uh, a, a, the alternate lifestyles. I'm not going to discuss the topic more. But we discussed it on the air. And obviously, no one, none of us believe in the alternate lifestyles. None of us support this. And here's a package, or here's a, here's a uh, website that's promoting the product as under the hashkocha of this hashkocha. And at the same time, at the same time, it's not really, uh, it's not something we would stand behind. I mean, they're promoting things that we don't, we, that are offensive to us. So is there, is there a problem with this, ethically, morally, halachically? Uh, personally, I know it's a big problem, and I don't know the answer. I mean, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. I know that the ACO is meeting on this topic. And uh, then I mentioned to them that there's, there are other types of things that might come in the future. We have to be aware of it. What if on the packaging, on the, on, the, on the websites, they promote something like assisted suicide, uh, marijuana use, uh, other things that are apparent to us, uh, abortion, things that are apparent to us, that we halachically are usher, but you're not giving a shkacha to that, you're giving a shkacha to the product. But at a certain point, you have to stand for something. As we said, years ago, there used to be mixed dances, everything was mixed dances, and then we stopped it. It stopped in America. And the kashvas agency said, we don't want, most, many kashvas agencies will not give hashkacha to an affair that is mixed dancing at it. Many hashkachas are very makbed on that. So they do have stands on ethics and morals and halachas that are not applied to kashras per se. So the question is, where do you draw the line? And that's an interesting issue. And here now we're not even talking about halacha, we're talking about politics, we're talking about anti-Semitism, and the product is now promoting anti-Semitism. On their website it's going to say that we don't sell in those countries, we don't sell here, and we are part of the BDS movement, etc. And uh, this is a, 
this is going to become a very big I- issue for the Kashmir agencies. So this is what this gentleman was talking about. And he said that he feels that the Kashmir agency does not have to involve himself at all in this. They shouldn't be asked to take their name off it. Politics is kashras and, and, and halach is one thing, and hashkafa and, and anti-Semitism and this thing and that thing, something else. He's not discussing the things that I was talking about, but he's talking about this per se. But here's what he, said, here's what he writes. This, this, these calls trouble me. Kashras agencies should be making decisions based on Jewish law, not on politics. It is their responsibility to focus on the ingredients that go into the products, on the processes by which they are manufactured, not where the companies choose to distribute those products. The Orthodox community generally gets upset when local or national kashras organizations make rulings on businesses that have nothing to do with the food or the ingredients. We've seen countless cases of this recently, including a certification agency requiring a restaurant to change its scandalous name. In other words, they didn't like the name of the restaurant. A pushback against having televisions in a restaurant, or serving alcohol, or even having tables and chairs in a kosher pizzeria. That's years ago. The famous Glatyat mixed dancing situation in the late 1980s. Well, we discussed that issue too. So in other words, yes, there are people who do get upset about that. If you want, to, you want to have social dancing and they don't allow it, yes, you'll get upset. But were they right? Personally, I think that uh, there is such a thing as an atmosphere, and the atmosphere for me, dining in a kosher restaurant, does not include people drunk at the next table, and it doesn't include uh, huge televisions blocking my entrance into the room. It doesn't, I think, uh, I think that... I, as a consumer, have a right to say that I don't want you to give Ashkocha to such a place. I want you to choose to give places that don't have that, and maybe we'll be able to keep it out. And what's going to happen when there's marijuana smoking? What's going to happen? What's going to happen when our kids will be exposed to this stuff? So I, I think, yes, I don't agree with Danny on this. I'm not sure if he, he would agree with me, but that's, that's what I feel. Um, now, he, here's, he goes on like this. If we complain when kosher certification agencies mix politics and personal beliefs into kashras, we can't be also the ones adding politics into the mix. So in other words, we tell the kashras agencies, we, not me, we tell the kashras agencies, don't uh, bother us, let us uh, go mix dancing and, 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 and let, us have, uh, uh, let us have alcohol and let us have this and then television, let us do all these things. If we're telling the Kashmir's agency, let us do that, then we can't tell them uh, politics, don't, don't let us have the politics. Don't, we don't want that politics, we want this politics. Well, that's, uh, that's what he feels. Now, Kashmir's organizations should be in the business of deciding what products and restaurants are kosher, it's a slippery slope for kosher or certifications to be invalidated based on public pressure, especially when the pressure is under with food. Well, that I agree with you. I, I believe that, uh, that whatever voted on, people who voted on uh, the Yeshiva World News, whether KFK should certify it, are not making that same statement to the KFK. I would be surprised if the KFK got uh, 30 calls telling him it's close. The, the, the top to stop it. I, I'd be surprised if we got 30 calls. 
did, did they, did, how many people signed Yeshiva World News? I would say 500, 1,000 probably. But those are not the same things. In other words, what I feel in my heart, would I, would I, do I want a Hashkocha's name on such a thing? Of course I don't want a Hashkocha's name on it. Would I tell the Kav K to drop it? No. Uh, I, first of all, there's legal issues. So you just don't drop Hashkocha because you decide to drop the Hashkocha. If, you're gonna, if they're going to sue the company in Israel for, the, for, 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 for anti, uh, you know, for, for, for unfair competition or not following the, the, the signing of the contract from 2001, then I, I can't, uh, I, I don't want to be exposed to a legal case, so I wouldn't drop my hashkocha. I wouldn't expect anybody to drop the hashkocha based on that. If you want to not renew it at the end of the, the end of the term of your agreement, and you give them advance warning so they'd be able to put a different hashkocha on the label, I think that's appropriate if you decide to, if you decide to do it. But you don't have to. And I wouldn't tell anybody to drop hashkocha. But do we belong on these things? Of course not. There's a difference. What I feel is the right thing and what I would tell somebody to do. I wouldn't tell them to lose millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars, even, even $10,000 I wouldn't tell them to lose on it. It's a decision that they have to make. And then he, he calls it mob rule, et cetera, et cetera. That was Danny Klein from Yeah, That's Kosher. And this made big time, by the way. It, it wasn't on his website. This was in one of the big papers. Now, I'm going to share with you an answer to Danny Klein from this Jew, Joseph Flashner, who lives in Queens, New York. Um, you won't forget it. And that's really probably the reason I brought this whole thing up. This is a letter to the editor about Danny Klein's uh, points of view. We just mentioned that kosher certification shouldn't be a political weapon. Editor all right, she should say, dear editor. Okay, I'm an editor, so I say, editor, I adamantly disagree with Danny Klein's recent op-ed piece in these pages. Kosher certification should not be a political weapon. Yes, of course rabbis and other kosherous inspectors should be concerned about ingredients. But why should food companies that hurt our fellow Jews receive certification. The vast majority of those whom observe the, who observe the laws of Kashrus, mostly Orthodox Jews, support Israel. And here's some words you won't forget. I am a child of Holocaust survivors and victims who had a store in Vienna that was a victim of Kristallnacht and Nazi regime's boycott. This resulted in my grandparents being deported and killed. The notion of Jews boycotting other Jews drives me nuts. Wouldn't Mr. Klein want to revoke kosher certification from a hypothetically Nazi-owned food company in the 1930s? Why should supporting Hitler, those supporting Hitler and the boycotts of the Jews profit from the Jewish community. It is also worth noting that the organizations that provide certification are businesses. The very act of inspecting a food factory for the laws of kashras 
is an ethical statement. Sincerely, Joseph Lashner, Queens, New York. Beautiful letter. He put it in perspective. Anti-Semitism kills. And that's not something we want to be associated with. Now, the next topic, I wish I had a whole show for it. I don't have as much time as I would like. This one is very dear to my heart. Not that the other one isn't, but this one is very dear to my heart. And I don't think all of you understand exactly what's going on in Israel. If you watch what is going on, now I know HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. And I know that he can do anything and anything can change in a day. But so far, since the new administration got into power in Israel, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, plenty of activity has been started which is anti-Haredi and anti-Dati, which is unbelievable and in, it, it, it never in the history of, of Klai Yisrael have so many Jews fought against us from within. Everybody knows the stories of Ben-Gurion. I'm not going to retell them. But Ben-Gurion made a deal. And there's a status quo that's been kept since that deal. And that's why Israel somewhat looks like a Jewish country. The, the deal included letting the people not be in the army. And the deal included kosher in the army. Kosher by the rabbinut. Creation of a rabbinate. Supporting of the rabbinate. That was part of the deal. And even though Ben-Gurion would love to have reneged on the deal, and maybe in his lifetime he saw it wasn't really working, we were getting stronger, but that was a deal. The people who are coming into power now don't recognize that deal, and they want to change things. I'm going to read to you what Matan Kahana did. First of all, I go back, and I will tell you a story from the 1960s, but I, I must have said it once before. I believe I said it once. In 1960s, I was in Israel. I was learning yeshiva there. And I met with Zalman Kahana, who was the, who was, he was this, I think he, he from the Misrat HaDatot. Um, no, Varhaftig. It could have been Varhaftig. I'm not sure who it was anymore. It could have been Rabbi Varhaftig. And uh, he, uh, he was, who was the head of the, the, Mis, the Misrat HaDatot. And I told them that the conservative movement wants to come into Israel, and they want to get a foothold here. They want to have synagogues, etc. And he said, it will never happen. I knew about it because there was a from person whose father was a Shomer Shabbos Orthodox rabbi in a conservative synagogue. And he told his son what they're trying to do to get into Israel. And from those days, from the 60s until now, they're struggling to get a foothold. And occasionally they make a breakthrough, and then we hold on, and slowly but surely they're making more breakthroughs. And the current administration in Israel wants to create a unity of all the factions of the Jewish people, including the non-observant factions of conservative and reform. That is what is happening. 
Now I'm going to just show you a few of the examples of what he's doing. And then we'll be discussing some of the details and how it affects us directly and indirectly. So he wants, this Zalman Kahana, Matan Kahana, that's the one who's here now, he is trying to introduce a, a, a change, he calls it change, but it's a way of introducing reform, as in reform Judaism. I'm reading from one of the stories here. A religious affairs minister seeks to reform kosher certification. It's irking the Haredim, and it really should. So what happened is, he, said, he says, this gentleman, Matan Kahana, and by the way, all this is part of the deal that was made when they made the, the new government, everybody put in what they wanted, and it had to be approved by everybody. So part of the deal that made to create the new government was to include these changes. Now, it's not just the one thing with the Rabbanut, with the Kashras, which we're going to talk about. It's about several other things too, including the control over marriage, um, con conversion, and uh, marriage conversion and um, and uh, what other, so other things of that nature. I'll, we'll come up with it in a minute. Let's show you the others. So he pledged to heal religious tensions that have caused deep division in Israeli society. How do you heal the tensions? Judaism needs to unite and connect us and remind that we are one people, which I agree but not the way he wants to do it. He wants to do that by taking away the power from the rabbinate. And that will unite us. You'll see how. His approach to the ministry will not be the same as his predecessors, he said when he took office. We have to unite that we're one people. I hope you will work with the understanding to preserve the Jewish identity of the state and protect the standing of the chief rabbis, he said. In other words, he believes we have to, yes, we have chief rabbis, but how are we going to use them? He said, this uh, Matan Kahana said that his goal in this office is to sanctify Hashem's name. He wants to make a kiddush Hashem. Adding that he and the ministry would be evaluated by that barometer. He was referring to the atmosphere of corruption that beset the religious establishment in recent years. Certain rabbis and officials were indicted and convicted on various crimes, including a former chief rabbi. Now, I want to tell you, I don't know anything about the cases, but if you believe this baloney, that the, the rabbis are all on the take, or the, there was one person who was in the cautious field, they have him on video taking bribes. I'm Zicher, he took the bribes. I'm, I believe he took the bribes. I believe the pictures are real pictures. I did not see them, or actually I did see something, but I didn't see it clearly enough. I believe that that probably did occur. That was a worker who was visiting uh, facilities, for, worked for the rabbinate, was making visitations, and got a payoffs when he came there. That, I can understand, might have occurred. But you're telling me about chief rabbis, and you're telling me 
what's the words that they used? Rabbis and officials have been indicted and convicted of various crimes, including a former chief rabbi. Okay, now, I, 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 that's a little bit too much for me to believe. Yamina, which he comes from, this kahana, this organization, this, his uh, political, uh, his political uh, involvement from Yamina, reform. They set out the main reforms on religion and state issues that it would like to enact. Now, what are these? Here's here's what they want to do decentralize the authority over Jewish conversion to municipal chief rabbis to set up their own conversion courts. Now I ask you, why would we need to have special courts in every little part of Israel? Why would it be important to decentralize the authority? There's only one reason for that. You don't want it to be unified. You want to unite the Jewish people, and you don't want a unified halacha. In the rabbin in Israel, not everybody of the same ilk. The rabbanut harashit of Eretz Israel does not allow certain rabbis to give hashkacha. They, don't, they, they limit the people who are qualified to do it, or who they would trust. That doesn't, that's not separating Kalal Yisrael, that's uniting Kalal Yisrael. When you said anybody, any, if you say that anybody who made it to be a rabbi in Israel, in a city, can go ahead and do his rabbinic courts and this and that, he's free to do anything he wants and we can't control him, that's when we have anarchy. So I don't get it. I don't understand what the, why they feel it's important to take away the rabbinate's control in order to be able to set up a conversion. Conversion is the one area, I know it's very contentious, but it, it's the one area where the Rabbanut in Eretz Israel towed the line and you know, has, has, has forced women to, or men to go through another conversion in order to get their citizenship as a Jew and in order to marry by the rabbis that they, they're Jewish. I think it's beautiful. Are they too strict? Maybe. Maybe they're too strict. But if you're straight, what are you worried? If you're honest, what are you worried about? Oh, you want to have very big leniency. You want to have conversion where people don't commit to full observance of halacha. That's what the effort is, is. I don't know if you're familiar with going on in Israel, but there's been a fight for years that they want in the, in the, the rabbinate in, in, the, in the army is more lenient. And, the, and certain, but they're trying to produce easier, to dumb it down, to make it easier and easier to become Jewish without a commitment to a, to a strong set of halacha. I, I, I'm very close to the issue of conversion. I worked with it in many capacities. But one piece of information I'll share with you, and I mentioned it on this air, when I was talking about Rabbi Gornish, Zichronol Levracha, Israel Pinchas Gornish, who, who, who was involved in a few garrison. And I remember the one gayer that I spoke to intensely, he, he took this Indian from India, and, and, and he both went through gayers. And the man had a bechina from Rabbi Gornish on the entire, entire Mishnah Brewer. A bechina on the entire Mishnah Brewer. Rabbi Gornish demanded the most. I watched it. There were people, there was one man in particular who complained to me that Rabbi Gornish wasn't 
befriending him enough in, 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 his, gay, in his attempts at Gairus. And Rabbi Gornish explained to me, yes, I don't. Because they have to prove themselves. You have to turn them away because you can't all make it all fun and games. You have to make it a serious business. If he wants it, I'm here. And he made many Gairim. Beautiful Gairim. Beautiful. I'm, I'm familiar with quite a number of them. Beautiful Gairim. But he but turned away some? Yes. He turned away some. And they want in Israel to take everybody. Well, it doesn't work that way. If you convert somebody and they think you don't have to keep all the halachas in the Shulchan Aruch, you don't have to do everything, you can just sort of pick and choose like you're going to a store. Then that's not Judaism. Judaism is that you're saying that a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants you to be observant of the Torah mitzvahs. We have Tayag mitzvahs and you have to do it. You don't know it, you got to learn it. And you're not perfect, so you'll get, you're getting favors. But that, that's the way a, a Jew is supposed to feel. He has a responsibility. It's not just a, what I do, what I like. If, if I enjoy it, I'll do it. No, no, no. So this is um, what this gentleman is pushing, that the Rabbanut be removed of their responsibility decentralize the authority of the Jewish conversion. That's number one. Number one on his list, the hit list. Number two, which is the way we're talking about now, if I even get to it, there's not that much time. Allowing independent kashrus authorities to provide kashrus supervision. Let everybody give hashkocha. Hey, I'm in the United States. Anybody who calls himself a rabbi can give hashkocha. We have vad hakashrus of this and that, that's conservative. I've called Vad Hakashrus. Or Vad Hakashrut, but sometimes Vad Hakashrus. We have one of the biggest, strongest Kashrus agencies in the Midwest. Conservative rabbi. No orthodox smicha. Conservative rabbi. He is vying with the, the Rabbanim, the orthodox Rabbanim, for the Hashkachas. That exists. Fortunately, there aren't so many of them. But they, we do have it on a serious level. You open up the floodgates in Israel. I want to tell you something. Maybe you don't know this. But in Eretz Israel right now, you can go into a store and it says, Under Badatz Hashkocha. Hmm, Badatz. I know the Badatz. The Edecha race is very good. No, 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 no. It says, Under Badatz Hashkocha. Which Badatz? So when I started looking at this originally, there were like five badatsim. Badats means based in Sedek. Five organizations that call themselves based in Sedek of this, based in Sedek of that, based in... Today, it's like, it's, it's the Hashkacha name. In other words, badats means kosher, Hashkacha. That's all it means. Like in America today, if you go, there's no longer the OU, there's no longer the OK, there's no longer the Kuf K, there's no longer the Star K. Everyone is star K kosher certification, OK kosher certification, OU kosher certification, uh, whatever, I, I missed one, so it was the CRC kosher, kosher certification. They all established that that's their new name. So in Eretz Israel, everything is badats of, whatever you are. Now sometimes these badatsim, they're based in, is one person, and he calls himself the Badatz. 
Am I exaggerating? No. I know it. So they come out regularly with uh, the, the, the Rabbanut puts out regularly that these are not recognized Kashmir's authorities. It's a slew of people. They're not even, I don't even know if they're rabbis. I don't know if they ever learned Torah. Uh, they're in the business of certifying places and they're dumbing down the standards. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a pachat. It's mamish a pachat, what's going on in Eretz Israel. You know, I wasn't uh, the biggest fan of all the, all the Rabbanuts in, Ameri- in, in Israel, but the Rabbanuts in Eretz Israel, on the lowest level, are far above what we have today. It's going down and down and down because there are all these other guys encroaching. That was a big problem. But the law stayed with the, with the Rabbanut. It allowed them to use the name kosher, and no one else would use kosher. But they got a way to say, say almost the same thing as kosher. It's on the certification, etc., etc. On their websites, they can sneak in the word kosher. So they, they basically found ways to get around the, halach, the law in, in Israel. Now, the, 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 uh, the Matan Kahana, who... I can't understand that he got it, but he's who is he, he's the uh, the uh, the religious services minister. It means he's in charge of the, the, the of the, the Sahad Datot. So now he's he is saying that he wants to take away the control that the Rabbanut has of Kashrus in Israel, which includes you understand, it includes Shrita, it includes. Uh, Importation. They they're in charge of everything that's imported. They have uh, they they work together with the vet, with the uh, with the health department to make sure the products are health approved and kosher approved before they're imported. They have the tremendous control. It's amazing what they do, and that's going to all be taken away from them. And now, what's going to be free? For anybody who wants to call themselves a rabbi or a badatz or a kashrus organization or whatever it is, to give hashgacha. And they, the rabbanut, will be an overseer. They'll be an overseer organization. Now, how this is going to save money, I don't understand, because you're putting extra tax. Now you have a, the rabbanut giving hashgacha, and they don't need a certification on top of them. Then you're going to need... The local guy gives hashgacha, and the rabbanut will oversee it. Now, how can you oversee it when you didn't hire the guy to go in? You didn't. No, you make up your standards, and we do the standards. But of course, if we break the standards, of course, if we're not, you're not satisfied. Then you have recourse. So every time they're not satisfied with the guy for not doing the job, they're going to have to sue him, and they're going to have to challenge him in court. It's going to be nuts. This is what they're trying to put forth, and the. The, the, the problem with the conversion is mamish scary. Now, what's going to happen is, why do they want this, by the way? I'll t- explain to you. The reason they want it is because they, don't, they, they claim they want to reduce intermarriage. They're saying it, the, the, uh, it's too hard, the conversion, so people are intermarrying. What we'll do is we'll dumb down the standards of being a Jew, and this way, you can do a quickie conversion, and you'll be able to uh, get the, ma- the couple married Jewishly, and then there won't be, uh, there won't be any goyim. But if he didn't really, if she or he didn't, ex- she, let's say, didn't really accept Judaism, it doesn't really makabel mitzvahs, 
then you could call her Jewish, but she's not. And then the kid is not Jewish, but you think he's Jewish. It's going to be a thousand times worse if this goes through. I see that the time really, really went. I, I'm sorry, I got a little bit lost in this discussion here. And I, I, don't, uh, I don't think I'm going to get through to the end, which I really wanted to. Might I have to continue it. But let me say something that in defense of Mr. Kahana, these words have to be listened to, although I think they take, you should take it into perspective. Somebody, I'll leave the name out, said about Matan Kahana, he should take off his kippah. He is shaming it. And the next words went right to my heart. This is what Matan Kahana said to this other person who I think is a rabbi. When he said to him, he should take off his kippah, it's, he's shaming it. I ask those, and this is Matan Kahana's response. It's worth listening to, even if we don't agree with the man. I ask those MKs, have you ever prayed the Amidah prayer? That's the Shimon Esrei. During a military ambush? Soaked in the rain? Trembling with cold? Were you strict about washing your hands when you don't have a sink and a vessel next to it, to your bed, the dining room? As in the yeshiva, where you have it there? Have you worn tzitzis in training exercises? When is it the least comfortable thing in the world? Have you prayed to Hashem before going into battle? Who are you to teach us about fearing Hashem? Who are you to lecture us about sanctifying Hashem's name? You should be ashamed. Your behavior is worse, the worst desecration of Hashem's name that could be. And he said, Matan Kahana, he vowed to protect the Torah world, meaning the yeshiva funding, and to protect the Jewish character of the country. But I think he's got the wrong ideas about these reforms. I, I, I really have to hand it to him on the, on the prayer. And, and that's, that story, brought, what he's talked about is real stuff. It's true. But not, his impl- but not what he's trying to do. I have to read to you this because I, when you hear where it's from, you'll understand why it's so important. There's a rabbi, Moshe Katz. He's the head of the Kosharot organization. Kosharot is basically Mamlachti Dati, Tzionim, Datiim, what you'd call in America modern Orthodox, um, Zionistic modern Orthodox. And the head of it, Moshe Katz. And what they do is, Kosha wrote, goes around checking on all the different places and making decisions about what should be used and what should not be used, under whoever Sashkach it is. Some of the things that are under the Frum Hashkachas they may not like. And some of the things that are under some of the other Hashkachas they, might, they may take. But they're very, very strict in how they, they're, they're out, they're, they, they, they sit outside and they judge the Kashmir's world with an with even-handed way. Beautiful organization. I have shaykhs with them. But he is now responding 
to Matan Kahana. And here's what he said. I'm, trans- I'm using the English translation. It may not be perfect. The training system in the state of Israel deserves professional and relevant recovery. We are pleased with the minister Matan Kahana's determination to repair the Kashrus system. But anyone who knows the structure of the Kashrus system knows that privatizing the system will not benefit its repair and certainly not benefit the consumers. This conclusion was reached by all expert committees that sat on the matter and dealt with the issue. All of them unanimously stated that on the contrary, uniformity should be created in the training procedures and the common denominator should be created as broadly as possible. The privatization of the Kashra system also stands in contrast to the reports of the state controller, who also understood that it's not the solution to the Kashra's problems that exist in the system. Discontinuing subsidies for the public training system will increase the cost for small business owners and consumers. We call on all those involved. It's not too late. Today, we have established a committee of experts who are proficient in the field, and together we will build the ultimate outline for improving state training in Israel. In other words, okay, there are problems, but fix it. Don't kill it. That's what Rabbi Moshe Katz, who is in the same type of uh, uh, practice as, the, as, as Martin Kahani. He's not a Haredi, but he's straight. And, and he's telling him he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not doing it the right way. I'll just end off by telling you that the people who are close to the system say that, unfortunately, he never, uh, Mr. Kahana never investigated, never spoke to anybody in the, in the government. Nobody, he didn't speak to anybody in the Rabbanut. He didn't consult with anybody before he made all these decisions and how he came out with it, and they feel that, uh, you know, he's going too far. There's a whole business about women whom he's trying to promote to have leadership capacities in, uh, the, re- in the religious uh, courts, religious uh, organizations in the different states, different cities. He wants the councils. On the religious councils, he's trying to give uh, more authority to the women, and he wants it to be equal, uh, that's a whole different area, but we didn't deal with it, and we're going to have to stop because the time is late. So I want to thank everybody for listening, <laughs> the suffering with me when I got into some of these topics that I'm very, uh, uh, very emotional about. But I hope you, get, you gain some uh, insights into what's going on. Uh, just to end, I want to tell you that the OU's program that was, that was run this week uh, has concluded, and I can... If you, if you email me at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com, if you email me and just say, OU Kosher, I will send you links to the entire program. It's four different days. It's two hours each. But, and also, also included, no charge for anything here, I'll also be able to get you their booklet, which is about 50 pages, and you can keep them online, and, and you can look at it. It's, um, it's a beautiful booklet that describes 
all the things that you was you were seeing in the in the uh, in the presentations. So again, if you email me at kashrus k a s h r u s at aol dot com, don't put it. I don't care about who you are, but how to reach you. Just put there OU kosher in the subject, and I will send the connection, all the links to you, and you should be able to enjoy the entire program from beginning to end. If you need to meet your friend anytime, anything else during the week, my telephone number is 718-336-8544 or 732-534-9363. And until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Cassius Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week.